It's time for Talking Michigan Transportation, a podcast devoted to the conversations with people at the forefront of the ongoing mobility revolution. In the state that put the world on wheels, here's your host, MDOT Communications Director, Jeff Cranson. Hi, once again, welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation podcast. Uh, This week, I'm gonna be talking with Lloyd Brown, uh, a multi-time visitor to the podcast now. Uh, He is the Director of Communications at the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials, and he and his colleagues are following closely as Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, I think soon to be Secretary Pete, makes his way through the confirmation process in the Senate for the U.S. Department of Transportation Secretary. Um, Lloyd, thanks for taking time to do this. Pleasure, always. So, uh, what, what are you hearing, just uh, just to start with? I mean, you you saw some or, or certainly read uh, plenty about the hearing, just as I did, and it was uh, it was really quite amicable all the way around. I think there were a couple of moments of a little pushback, but overall, uh, a lot of bipartisan uh, admiration and support for the nominee. Well, I think that's one reason why when Mayor Pete, then Mayor Pete, and now Secretary-designee, uh, Pete was selected for this position that those of us in the transportation business were so excited. Uh, he's really known as somebody who builds relationships. He's very, uh, he, he's somebody who builds networks and is uh, seems truly interested in the issues and learning the issues. Uh, he also is somebody who I think has a serious mind for policy based on some of the things that we've learned about how he was leading uh, his uh, city in Indiana. So uh, there's a lot of positives and and really not a lot of surprises that uh, he had such a nice, easy confirmation hearing yesterday. So I listened early this morning to um, the argument podcast that the New York Times produces that's always pretty interesting. And uh, they had an interview, a discussion with Jared Bernstein, who, as you know, is going to be an economic advisor in the Biden administration. And he was really bullish on the chances of of getting some kind of infrastructure plan. I think Michelle Goldberg even joked, you know, about Infrastructure Week, which has almost become like a parody of itself. But um, he seemed to think that, you know, he said that every time that he had talked to people previously when he was in Congress, that uh, Republicans would take him aside and say, you know, it's really only this current administration that's holding us back. We think there are some things we can agree on. And that was certainly one of them. I kind of feel like there's a question here, by the way, but I kind of feel like I've been hearing this for so long that the one thing there's bipartisan support on is infrastructure. And it's like the, the only bipartisan agreement is that we need to do something about it. I don't know that there's much bipartisan agreement for where the revenue comes from. Do you? No, and that may be, once again, the thing that brings down the whole idea of it. But what we're what we're really looking at, and I think we talked about this before, is that early on in, I don't know if it'll be the first 100 days, but early in the Biden administration, we are going to see some sort of stimulus program, maybe not exactly like the 2009 Recovery and Reinvestment Act, um, but it's going to be along the, along those same lines where you're going to see a significant investment on the part of the federal government in some infrastructure that would probably include things like broadband and probably include some green energy and things of that nature. 
but would also include transportation investments. And what those transportation investments would look like is uh, not real clear at the moment, but you got to believe that it's going to be more focused on things that are more multimodal, things that are probably uh, targeted around making the existing system more resilient, and uh, that has some sort of nod toward equity and inclusion um, in, in, the, in this initial package. There's this looming uh, reauthorization discussion that comes later in the year because the current transportation bill expires at the end of September. So there's really two bites at the apple, perhaps. But uh, those of us in the transportation business are really looking at, you know, early on, perhaps this spring at some point, that there'll be a package that comes forward. And again, the question is, where does the money come from and, and what does it prioritize in terms of what it pays for? Well, so I'm guessing that you read the story and saw the, the thing that's being floated that some business allies of the Biden administration are are pushing for a carbon tax as one means of funding infrastructure. Um, going to the point you raised about what uh, the nominee secretary to be Buttigieg said in his hearing, um, you think that gets any traction? Well, I think that there is an appetite right now for moving on and moving beyond the gasoline tax right after Secretary Designee uh, Pete uh, uh, Buttigieg's uh, confirmation hearing. I'm still figuring out how to talk about him. <laughs> I think I think <laughs> people to are going to settle on Secretary Pete. That's my guess. Yeah, well, OK, we'll use Secretary Pete. Um, but uh, uh, I think what you're going to see is that um, uh, or right after his hearing yesterday, the administration came out and said, we're, we're not going to go for a gas tax. And so uh, that put a real chilling effect on anybody who still believes that with the new administration that there'll be any sort of additional discussion of of increasing the the fuel tax that we have now uh, that's been stuck at the same level since the early 90s. But um, even more so this afternoon, Earl Blumenauer, congressman uh, from, from the Northwest, came out and said he's moving on from recommending a federal gas tax increase. He's, he's abandoning that idea and he's moving forward with some other ideas. He just says, um, you know, that that, uh, that that there's just no ability to get that done. So uh, I think that you're going to see different ideas floated and, and uh, perhaps a carbon tax is, is one of those. And it's certainly something that, you know, in the state of Washington, uh, Governor Inslee has been pursuing. And uh, in Oregon, where Earl Blumenauer hails from, uh, there's the VMT fee, you know, the vehicle miles travel fee. So there are some other options on the board, and I think technology is catching up and could allow us to get at least some case studies and some testing done along those lines even further uh, to build that build that knowledge of how it all would work. Yeah, I kind of thought Blumenauer, because of that, you know, what Oregon has done and been on the leading edge of VMT and exploring other methods that as much as anything is, is the fact that, you know, we've been talking about this for this long and nothing's happening anyway, that he was also just kind of saying we've moved beyond that is even a good way to pay for, you know, transportation, that uh, fuel tax is, is antiquated. And I, you know, sometimes disingenuously, you'll hear critics of the fuel tax bring that up only because they don't want to have to take that tough vote. And it's not because they're that interested in VMT or something else either. It is very curious, I think. Well, it, the fuel tax is a is a user fee that is easy for everyone to hate, uh, depending, you know, regardless of what uh, what perspective of the, of the of the political spectrum you come from. 
you know, it's regressive. Uh, it's, it props up and continues to depend upon a carbon-based fuel system. So uh, it, when you're looking at progressive policies and people who advocate for those, if you can get to a vehicle miles travel fee or you can get to some sort of carbon uh, funding, then uh, you're going you're gonna to be checking off a couple of different boxes. And I think that so you will see more discussion of that. I, I just don't know how far along they really are in, in developing a bigger plan. But I wouldn't be surprised if we got a lot more conversation around that funding source, because honestly, that that is continues to be and has been for 15 years. The thing that is holding back you know, significant investment in the transportation system. Well, it's, and it's, it's the, interesting to me, to, to us in Michigan, because, you know, Michigan-based Dow Chemical has a former CEO that's among the business allies that's advocating for this. When you look at the continuing investments from the general fund, the federal general fund into the highway trust fund, uh, what that means, and I think you you in Michigan know this as well as, as any state, is that when you when you pull that money out of the general fund, you have less of it that's available for teachers and less of it that's available for other priority programs. And this new administration has a lot of priorities and a lot of uh, progressive policies that it wants to pursue. So it just doesn't have, I think, an interest in pulling more money out of the general fund to continue propping up the trust, the highway trust fund. So that puts an even greater emphasis on trying to figure out and needing to figure out where the funding is going to come from to pay for either a stimulus or even the uh, reauthorization of the federal surface transportation program later this year. Well, let's listen to what uh, the secretary nominee had to say along those lines. I mean, he actually used the words autocentric in his in his hearing. There, there are so many ways that uh, people get around. And I think often we've had uh, uh, an autocentric view that, that has forgotten historically about uh, all of the other different uh, modes. And we want to make sure anytime we're doing a street design that it enables cars uh, and bicycles and pedestrians and businesses and, and any other mode uh, to, to coexist in, in a positive way. And we should be putting funding behind that. So what do you think about that? Uh, you know, him saying that, uh, that we want to make sure we're doing a street design that enables cars and bicycles and pedestrians and other pedestrians and other modes. And you and I talked about that uh, the last time back when he was first nominated uh, more than a month ago, and it was all very fresh. Um, and it sounds like he he didn't really shy away from saying things that he knew some folks yesterday might not like. Well, at the end of the day, if you're focused on a multimodal system, and what that means is is uh, giving the people who use the transportation system the ability to, to choose a transportation mode that fits their needs, and then a, a system that runs efficiently and safely. You're you're going to be on the right path. And from our perspective, uh, state DOTs have been looking at this and prioritizing these sort of pedestrian uh, centric designs where they are most appropriate. Um, for instance, you're, you're not going to put a bike path on a on a major interstate going across Oklahoma, but there are other ways that you can build out infrastructure that will support enhanced safety, support quality of life, and help people move freely throughout their community, whether they're on a scooter or whether they're on a skateboard or they're driving a car. And from that perspective, there's a lot to like about how Mayor Pete is approaching what he's uh, described to the to his uh, confirmation committee, and and we're I know looking forward to working with 
Secretary Pete and his administration as they get to implementing their programs. So I'm going to put you down as solidly against a bike path on an interstate going through Oklahoma. <laughs> sure, sure. Having recently driven uh, across country uh, in a in a uh, bid to avoid COVID exposure on an airplane um, and taking my child back to college, um, yeah, I've I. I know all about the interstates, and there are certain there's certainly some places where people should not be walking or riding their bicycle, uh, just because the vehicles are going so fast, and it's just not built for it. It's not appropriate. But you know, I also ride my bicycle a lot, and uh, and and I live in a very walkable community because I value those things, and I want to see people uh, able to safely utilize the transportation system regardless of the mode that they opt for. Well, and and you know, there's. Uh obviously a solid safety imperative there too um and he also addressed that and i know you uh talked about that uh with some passion the last time um, we had this discussion and he did send what i think uh, at least i know the folks at streets blog considered a pretty positive signal um about uh ending you know trying to reduce traffic deaths um, and vision zero let's listen to what he said about that over the course of my lifetime, we've uh, made a lot of gains as a country on dealing with uh, uh, the effects of drunk driving on uh, road safety and fatalities, only to see distracted driving rise uh, to become a new uh, and, and deadly effect. Uh, I believe the number stands at something on the order of 36,000 or 38,000 uh, uh, at last count lost in a single year to crashes on the road. Uh, we cannot accept that, and we need to move toward a vision. Uh, where every trip uh, is a safe one, uh, whether it's long or short, on any of America's roadways. Did that go far enough to uh, to to make people think that he's very serious? Very few people oppose a safe transportation system at its at its most basic concept. The the issue comes in when you get down to where are you going to apply the money and what programs are you going to prioritize. It, 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 I think that. The experience that uh, that Secretary Pete has had uh, in in uh, uh, Indiana in in his community developing a uh, walkable community and a community that enhanced his downtown and and rebuilt his downtown kind of is is uh, is an unsurprising reference and roadmap on how he's likely to roll out some programs for uh, the broader nation and and it's really in line with where again where a lot of state DOTs are already focusing you know let's look at you know when we have to build additional capacity we will but we also need to take care of what we have and we also need to look at what are the investments that can make communities more livable with a higher quality of life and uh, and support our economy but it's all got to be built around safety first and that's what that's what I heard well, and you also, you know, you're familiar with what NHTSA did, uh, trying to put a finer point on this issue because uh, so many states, um, like I referred to on last week's podcast and actually a couple others during the summer, so many states like Michigan saw a tremendous spike in, in speeds and crash deaths despite traffic being greatly diminished by the pandemic. Um, I, I'm still not sure that that's got enough attention um, from, you know, from media, from lawmakers, from from policymakers and everywhere. I mean, we, we should be, I mean, that's another another group of deaths that you can attribute to the pandemic. 
basically. So I, I, I kind of wonder what you think about that. Well, I think that a lot of us in the transportation industry were quietly taken aback by watching the statistics this year and, and unnerved a bit that even with uh, the public outreach efforts that we've done, going back to, I think, the, the first major uh, siren and alarm came out of California in as early as May uh, with some in major enforcement um, and uh, in Arizona, I think, had an early enforcement effort as well. But, uh, you know, just watching the, the numbers climb and the discussions nationally within the industry, uh, it, it, it's really disconcerting that we're in this situation. And it comes back to uh, the fact that people, given the opportunity, are <laughs> they're driving vehicles with lots of power and they have a false sense of safety and uh, and they get out there and they drive too fast. So uh, we we I think in in the transportation business uh, I think are becoming more aware of the need to design facilities that um, not only are are safer in their in their construction but safer in how people uh, exist within them how to, how they drive them how they maneuver them how they walk them. You know, more of a, a safe systems approach, I think, is the term that's becoming more common these days and figuring out ways to design the facilities to um, to enhance how people behave in, in a safe way. We're never going to be able to completely human proof the system. I, I think that I, that's why I just I feel like the, the technologies that are being developed, you know, that will eventually get us to higher states of automated driving are the only way we're ever going to really make a dent in crashes and, and crash deaths. I, you know, I, I know that there are people that are still going to be skeptical for a while and there are going to be concerns about that. But, you know, the bottom line is we're humans and we're going to make mistakes. Right. And driving is a very complicated, uh, it's a very complicated thing. Um, and, and anybody who's, who's taught somebody who's never driven before how to, how to navigate the, the streets around the Washington DC area can attest that it is a very complicated thing to operate a vehicle um, with with all the other uh, drivers out on the road at the same time. So, you know, I'm not I'm not sure that the the total answer is is anything short of doing uh, more automated vehicles. But, you know, we we can't. That doesn't mean we can wait. We we have to do what we can. We have to use the the tools we have and and move forward and, and try and help people understand the risk they take when they don't follow the rules, if they drive too fast, if they're in poor conditions, and uh, and try and get back to, um, you know, zero is the goal. Zero is always the goal towards zero death is, is our national strategy. So um, we got to try and get there. We can't wait. But it sure would be nice if, if, uh, if people would drive a little slower and pay a little bit more attention. I did note that uh, I think he called himself the second biggest fan of passenger rail uh, in the administration now. I had read some of that, you know, and obviously we could presume, given where South Bend is and along the the Amtrak corridor between Detroit and Chicago and also near the South Shore, which is a very popular way for people to make their way into Chicago from that area, that he was a rail fan. But it was interesting to hear him uh, give such a full-throated support and love for passenger rail. You know, again, this comes back to to uh, to funding and where the funding is going to be prioritized. But you certainly can see a scenario in which uh, higher speed passenger rail, especially along uh, the east 
eastern corridor, the I-95 corridor, and in between uh, some of the closer together Midwestern states, probably we'll see some additional funding. Um, you know, the state-led high-speed rail corridors or passenger rail corridors uh, have been managed pretty well, and and they have been uh, the projects have been built out successfully, and so you could see some additional investment. I think where you're going to see some some question marks and and maybe even some questions about whether they remain viable or the the longer uh, distance Amtrak routes. Um, but you know we'll see where that shakes out. You know you can be a fan of rail and still think that um, doing a full cross country uh, Amtrak route may not be the best thing. Well, is there anything else that you want to mention that uh, you're hearing? about what uh, a Pete Buttigieg USDOT will be like or insights that you yeah, gleaned from yesterday? I, I think you're going to see some significant uh, interest in propping up the urban transit systems and helping out the rural transit systems as well. Um, a lot of people don't realize that most state DOTs are the ones that operate or uh, are the pass-through funding for the rural transit um, that literally are lifelines for rural communities uh, that help people get to um, uh, clinics for their health care, help people access shopping uh, to receive their food. I mean, these are really, really important services that are provided and often paid for largely by the federal government and passed again, passed through by the through the state DOTs. And, and they've struggled. And uh, the urban uh, transit systems have struggled mightily as uh, as people have not gone to work in the in the core of their urban communities. And, and, uh, and so that leaves us at a question on, you know, if you're a city like Washington, DC or San Francisco or New York, you know, you've got a system built on trying to handle this mass amount of people. But if people don't go back to their offices again, what happens to these, these uh, employment centers and, and how do you support uh, a dispersed population? So a lot more conversation around transit and what it looks like to support and maintain the rural systems, but then also the urban systems. No, that's a that's an excellent point. I'm glad you brought that up because people tend to think, and this is definitely the case in Michigan, that when you start talking about transit and buses, that you're only talking about Grand Rapids and Detroit and you know Lansing and Flint and Saginaw and Kalamazoo, when in fact many, many of those rural counties, especially in the very rural stretches of the northern part of the state do rely on those those local transit systems and they are very important to people's lives their livelihood and and their uh like you say their medical care and all kinds of appointments so i yeah i think it's a that's a real something we should underscore so so thanks uh lloyd for taking the time to do this i'm going to be really eager i know you are too to see uh how things go once he's uh in place and starting to make some of the the changes that we've talked about. Well, it's a it's an exciting time to be in transportation. I was talking to uh, another colleague uh, of mine the other day, and and really looking ahead that uh, you know, we've joked a lot about transportation week, but this may just be transportation's year uh, when it sits at a nexus or uh, between all the policy priorities and really helping shore up and and get the economy going back the way we want it to go. Well, I just, I mean, not to take anything away from former U.S. DOT secretaries, but I don't know that there's ever been anyone that is as skilled a communicator as he is in that role. Okay, thanks again for listening to this week's edition of the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. 
Next week, I hope to be speaking with someone from Traffic Scotland about their uh, the concept they kind of pioneered to name gritters, which we call plows, and uh, which is something we've implemented in Michigan and uh, with great success um, as of this recording. On Friday, January 22nd, um, since we launched this as just sort of a pilot, we've already got nearly 9,000 entries for names, which is a lot more than there are snowplows in the state. But uh, it shows that there's enthusiasm for this. And Scotland had a lot of fun with it, and I'm eager to hear how it came to be. So uh, tune in next week to listen to that. Thanks again, Lloyd. Yeah, you can bet. Thanks. That's a wrap for this edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. Check out show notes and more by subscribing on Apple Podcasts.